We are six women. We are wordsmiths. We are magic. We are curious. We are contradictions. We are wanderers. We are people of many names. We are mind trekkers and story weavers. We are adventurous spirits. We continue to grow. We've been baptized in the font of dream and memory. We are partly truth and partly fiction. I am Gail. I am Joanne. I am Margie. I am Katie. I am Marion. I am Mary. We are the Mystic Order of East Alabama Fiction Writers. Welcome to the first podcast of the year 2024 and the first podcast of our of season number six of the Mystic Order of East Alabama Fiction Writers <laughs> podcast. We have a small crowd today. It's cold outside. So who's here? Well, the Queen's here. Of course. Better be. <laughs> the nebulous mystic Mary is here. And I have a question. How do we know... <laughs> What season we're on? Every January we have a new season, <laughs> said the Queen, lying openly. <laughs> so I think whenever we feel like it. No, it's whenever I feel like it. Oh, excuse uh-huh. me. Even better, yes. Or whenever Rivers, who designs our little pictures that go on our podcast, decides we need a new color. The Mystic Prince, yes. The Mystic Prince. Mm-hmm. So I wonder what color our I don't new- know, but I really liked last year's yellowy, kind of tawny color. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll have to see what Rivers comes up with this time. So this is the mystic truth teller, I think it's what I'm going by these days. I have many yeah. aliases. This is Katie. And I'm going to lead a conversation because new year, new project that we're about to launch, um, and it relates to a book. But before we get into that, I would like to ask you missed you three missed you two missed it us three missed however many there Let's are ask us. the mystics ask There's the three mystics. of us here Katie is it a, <laughs> no matter how map many has never been my strong point <laughs> even say. when you're sitting in front of me when you it's can't just count to three though I'm <laughs> so sort of worried well, I just you know I'm, I'm you know it, you're yeah. you're supposed to remember things in threes. Yesterday, I had my wellness test where they ask you to draw a clock and then give you three words like yellow, cafeteria, and house, and you're supposed to remember it after they've taken your vitals. So I practiced drawing the clock all week. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to do it anymore. Oh, no, of course. (laughs) You know, that was good for you. Anyway, what were you going to ask us? So I was going to ask if you all have read any good books lately. I certainly have. Tell me. I've read a lot of good books, and... This book is called The Crossing Places by Ellie Griffiths with an S. It's not going to advance your IQ, I don't think, but it's going to be a page turner. Mm. And it's set in a salt marsh, which Mm. is, uh, she Mm. is an archaeologist, and the police have asked her about some bones they found. The characters are great, and the story's kind of chilling. So it's a little bit like maybe Silence of the Lamb. Mm. but not quite. Can you repeat the title for our listeners who write these things down? The Crossing Places by Ellie Griffiths, and it's the first in a series. Ooh. Oh. Well, I love a good salt marsh story. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I love a good series. Yeah. I, and, and and as I say, you're not going to advance your knowledge for much, maybe a little bit in archaeology, but you'll enjoy it sitting by the fireplace this mm. cold day. Well, you know, reading for pleasure is fun, too. I really loved a book that's real popular right now called Wellness by Nathan Hill. And I just saw a Guardian article about it this morning on my Facebook. And I'm not the only person that loved it. It's just a delicious romp through kind of 
hoking around at modern our modern world right now. Like nobody's really safe. I guess it's uh, it's just a lot of fun. It follows a married couple from their origin story to their. It's fun uh, worrying about our world. Poking fun at the world. Oh, poking fun at yeah. the world. Yeah. So I highly recommend it, and it ha- it left me with a lot of questions. Like there's the. the main character works in a place called wellness and it's a kind of a based on placebo and there's a lot of science thrown in and i i want to go back you don't like science see if all that science is true (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean some of it's like wow is that really true but you know now have i told y'all about my grounding cloth for wellness well, I, I wrote a column about it. You did? I oh, did. That's and right. mentioned I you by name. I remember that. <laughs> you <Yes>. shared it. <laughs> well, I had a thought today in Tai Chi when I was gathering all my chi. I thought, no, I think my grounding mat is fake chi, fake mm. energy. Because it has that same feel if you can gather up your energy at Tai Chi. But so. that's not fake. Well, the mat is, though. So we need to just go outside and run around barefooted. That's right. Yeah. I do that every day. Yeah. I want y'all to know that it's about 29 degrees out there, and I was in my car, and my husband ran out of the house with wet hair in his underwear and bare feet, and I thought, my God, what, the house is on fire. And he came You to, have a lot more exciting marriage yeah. than I do. <laughs> he came to kiss me goodbye. Oh, oh really? <laughs> yes, Rolled out the window, and that was it. Wow. Oh. That would scare me to death. <laughs> it probably scared the neighbors. <laughs> if, if Bob Langley did that, I'd have to get out the defibrillator. <laughs> okay, but we weren't going to talk about that today, that's were okay. we? okay. We can talk about anything we want to, yeah. because we are in charge. Yeah, Just that's the right. Three of us. Whatever yeah. the yeah. three of us want. And as long the as three. the queen will let us, so she can cut us off. If that's we right. Can. And for the readers away. who write down, the name of the book was... Wellness by Nathan Hill. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have to admit that I did not have a particular book to recommend today because I've been reading a lot, but it's sort of like been, I haven't found the one book lately that just... I know that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Which is okay. I've enjoyed doing reading, which is, you know, reading's supposed to be fun and you're supposed to learn from it and whatnot. Um, but, um, But there's just not one book that's just jumping out at me. So hope. I hope by the next podcast I'll have something that I can go, oh my if, gosh, you must read this. If one book jumps out at me, I'll, I'll put it on my great book list, great, mm-hmm. the Queen's great book list. Because I don't put down the mediocre or not so interesting books, I tend to reread them because I don't have them listed anywhere. <laughs> yeah. And I'm presently re- rereading a mediocre book mm. for book club. And I'll get to a chapter and go, oh, I've read this before. <laughs> well, Gail, I'm currently reading a book by your something cousin, Scott Duncan, called oh, yeah. Southern mm-hmm. Wonder about Alabama's surprising biodiversity. And it's jump out of your skin wonderful if you're into it. I love it. I love his writing style and I love what I'm learning. I'm so glad you said that because it's my cousin Lucy's son, Scott. Okay. And uh, she'd be very proud. It's yes. an excellent book. And he is um, director of Alabama Audubon. Um, and yes, I don't know if he's still teaching or formerly a teach taught at is it not Birmingham Southern, maybe Samford. Anyway, he's also been a professor if he's not still. But he's he's really is a remarkable guy. I've interviewed him for stories that I've done and he's always the best interview because he can just say exactly what you wanna 
know yeah. in, in like a few words. I wish I had that talent. I do not. <laughs> well, he's telling the story of Alabama's, even the geography, in a story-like way, which makes it so interesting. So that's Southern Wonder. Oh, yeah. Yay. Scott Duncan. It's, and it's so nice to have Alabama authors that we can talk yes. about. Well, speaking of Alabama authors. Um, I know some good ones. I, I, know, I know at least six. Six good that, How many? How many so I know exactly Let me do the math here. Good um, and so one of the reasons that I have not read as much of the great stuff is that I have been helping work on putting out what is reportedly the very last book that the mystics are going to publish. And it is a, a collection of essays and some short stories and some poems um, by all of the mystics. And it's memoir-esque. So it's sort mm-hmm. of the story of our lives. We do might tell us a few stories on other people's lives, too. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're telling our secrets and a few others. But, um, but, but it's a memoir. It is a memoir, yes. And it is been the most fun to read all of these things. These are stories that we had written over the last... Was it fun to read them 10 times each? It, well, it, it was a process, but it was. And I felt, <laughs> you know, I, I feel very attached to these stories now. <laughs> it's so... You but, know, I was at the beach editing, and mm-hmm. I was in my fourth editing, and all of a sudden I got a hate on for everybody who'd written in the book, including me. Yeah. <laughs> I get on my own nerves so much. <laughs> Of course, and the artwork is by the talented Marky oh, Bright Raglan, oh, and, and it's just gorgeous. It and is. it's in color. Mm-hmm. Yes, beautiful. Right. And, and you know, what I, what I think was so much, so, what's so interesting about this book is that it does um, reveal everybody's writing style, but also it really is a glimpse into our lives in ways that we don't always get to write about. So I really have, it's been fun to to get to know you all better this way. Well, and, yeah. One thing that surprised me about Mystic Joanne is she's always saying she's the oldest child. But in her story, a young brother had to be, ta- a very young child brother had to be taken care of while Joanne was being birthed. <laughs> so she did have an older sibling who, who did not live very long. That's why she's the oldest. So when I was editing, I thought, this isn't <laughs> true. Am I supposed to edit things right. that aren't true? <laughs> I think a memoir ought to at least be true. Mm -hmm. Well, as you see it. Well, Mary doesn't think so. (laughs) Whatever. Hey, I've had such a major shift in my life. I think I need to go back and Mm -hmm. add something to the book. Is it too late? (laughs) Yes, Jesus. It is too late. Yeah. (laughs) That's a book in itself, Mary. Yes. Yeah. Well, that. Speaking of being too late to edit something in the book, that's part of my mystic moment this week when we get to it. We'll see yeah. what that was. Ooh. Well, the problem with doing a memoir, and especially saying this is the last book of the mystics, is that we have many more years of writing ahead of us. I am I know, sure of you that. You know, though, we're and all diversified. Mm-hmm. We have all are going in, in our own directions and in doing different things, too. So, But, you know, you until you're gone, the story doesn't end. And that's so right. we you know, we'll have more stories to tell. We just you might know, not tell them this way. In the beginning, what we did was we just bring things to read. And we, oh, by the way, even though this is our last book audience, the mystics will meet the first Wednesday of every month and we'll go on field trips. Just invite us and we'll be at your library. And we'll still be the mystics. We're just not publishing. And that's why I think it's not just the age because I think I might be the oldest, although I'm pretty cute. But um, <laughs> Agreed. It's, it's that we've all really, 
um, splintered off into doing different things, mm-hmm. not just short stories. Yeah, that's all I'm about to be doing as of May is just writing. I have finally reached that so goal. So why don't you tell our listeners about what's <laughs> going on? I will give up my after-school coordinator job. I'll work out my contract year. And my new job, which I've already begun, is to be the writer at a horse and cattle ranch. So when I didn't I'm realize out, co- co- Horse and cattle ranches had writers. They don't, but this man <laughs> who owns this ranch is a visionary, and he has a lot going on, and I've, I'm amazed at how much there is to write about, and I just spend time out there on the farm he, on a horse. He picked the right person. He did. He well, sure picked the right person. He couldn't person. get rid of me once he told me I could ride his horses anytime I wanted to, and so I guess he just figured he might as well put me to good use i could never ever do that i i would start with grass is green today and then think what am i talking about (laughs) i'm learning a lot i did cow vaccinations this weekend i used to i think i've told you this i used to have you did cow vaccinations i didn't do them i hung out for the cow vaccinations and wrote about it Oh, (laughs) so my job was to be right there horses all the all the good stuff all creatures big and small um i've told you i had horses Mm mm-hmm and my horses were where the junior high school is. And we had a drought, and the, the place the horses had to drink went dry, so it was next to the graveyard, the city graveyard. I hope I don't get arrested for saying this. But, <laughs> so this was years ago. What is the statute of yeah, limitations? Yeah, statute of limitations. I'd have to, at night, go into the graveyard and hook up to their water and fill these troughs up mm-hmm. for the horses. And you would think that would last a week. Oh, no. Oh, no, this was nightly, and I never got caught. Finally, it rained, and I was saved, but I said after that, horses are a lot of trouble. 15 to 18 gallons a day per mm. horse. There was, <laughs> we, I just had three. Yeah, that's still a lot of gallons. That's a lot of gallons. Yes, sure is. Yeah. If you don't have a water source. Well, speaking of water tank stories, when I was, so I grew up with horses. My mom and dad were riders, and mom taught for the university years ago, and so we had horses as long as I can remember. And when we first moved to the place where I grew up, they my, we were living in a little house while they were building a house. We were living in a little cabin while they were building a house. And we had the horses there, but there was no running water. So we hand-pumped, literally one mm. of those pumps that you pump your arm up and down, and filled this giant water trough, which was fine, except that we also, at that time, had a St. Bernard, and it was summertime. So Daddy would get, or Mom or all of us would get the, trough filled and then the St. Bernard would go climb in it mm-hmm. and it would all the water of course would be displaced and then he'd get out and there was hair in it so they'd have to start all over and we all summer long we kept doing that so it was a Did, you should have put the St. Bernard in the barn well that's a good idea I don't know that we had stalls that would have kept or in the mystic memoir yeah, yeah. Oh, that's we gotta true. keep riding. right right well exactly. um because we have a new book we'll have a book opening And we are blessed to have it at the most wonderful spot in this area. It's an opal icon. It's called the Art House. If you'd like to hear us read from the book live, all six of us live, with Mary sliding in last from her job. The Art House is in Opelika, Alabama. And it's um, dedicated to the parents of Jay and Ginger Stein. Stern. Uh, Stern, excuse Mm -hmm. me. It's only for the promotion of art and in remembrance of their parents. And it's a great place to have any art show or book reading. Mm-hmm. I feel very pleased that we're going to be doing that on February the 15th from 5 to 7. And there might be some wine and cheese involved. Mm-hmm. 
All right, February 15th, 5 to 7, Art House right. in Opelika. Yeah, yeah, and if you're following us on social media, you can see more information about that as it gets closer. You know, Let us know if you have questions about it, too, if you're wanting to come. We assume that there'll be other readings down the road, but this is our grand opening um, or our book launch. So we're looking forward to being able to, to get this baby out in the world. If, if you have a book group, or a book club in the, our area, and would like for us to come speak to your book club. We would love to. We've done that before. We've even spoken to a garden club, and only Katie is the gardener. <laughs> so <laughs> We've spoken to the Air Force wives, so we're multi-talented here. But if you have a book club in the area, in Lee County, Alabama, just let us know, and we will show up. Or any kind of club that just needs some entertaining. Yeah, we'll take the lions or the... Mm-hmm. Tigers and Rotarians. They will do this on the 50-yard line next year before the games. There we go. (laughs) Well, so before we talk a little more about the book, Gail, I'm curious if you will share with us where you are going with your writing. I'm I'm just sort of poetry crazy. Mm. I read a book, and I may have said this before, it was called The Hundred Years of Margot Margo and Lenny, or is it Lenny and Margot? But the author of that book was a first-time author, and she's a PhD, probably teaches some kind of English, but she also is a stand-up comic. And she shared that she, when she was poor, had been an extra in two Bollywood movies. And she says she's not going to tell the name because one's still streaming. But she <laughs> says she's glad to have these little teeny life facts because it helps build her repertoire in her stand-up comedy. And I thought, gosh, I'm 50 years older than this wonderful author. I've got a lot of life happenings, little happenings, and I thought, I'm going to write them down. So as I think, as they come back into my memory, I've been typing them, and it looks like a memoir. It looks like a pretty quirky mm. memoir. But I've been doing that and, and poetry. I stopped for Christmas because the Mystic Prince came along with the in-laws and Oh, ever since then, and I'm not joking, I've had a rash. <laughs> <laughs> a rash of visitors. Yeah, a, a rash of visitors and a rash of the skin that I can't seem to get rid of because I guess I was so traumatized by the company. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you going with your writing, Katie? So I am, I have applied, I haven't heard back yet, but I have applied to go to graduate school. And I've decided that, so I'm, I've been writing for four decades or longer professionally. So that's how I've paid my bills. That's how I've fed my kids. That's, you know, what I've done for a living. And I have loved it. Absolutely. But um, the thing I started out wanting to be way back was a nature writer and solely really wanted to focus on writing about nature and the environment and the wild world and land and things like that. And um, I've decided that I am now um, on Medicare, care. <laughs> I thought you were going to say medication. No, no, I was, yeah, I'm on Medicare. Thanks to my new meds. Um, yeah, yes, I've, yes, thanks to my new meds. Um, so I decided at this age, it's time for me to really go back to my roots. So um, I've applied for a low residency MFA in Colorado, at Western Colorado University. They'll be lucky to get that, you. Well, I, 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 I will be lucky to get in, I'm sure. And they have a, a program that's um, focused to, especially on nature writing. So I'm going to, if they, if they'll let me in, I'm going to do that and try to really start writing from where I started. Well, like what? Grass? 
Well, um, that might be involved. But horses. <laughs> well, horses are part of that, but they're they're just. I have a long. I have such a long list of story ideas that it would be two or three podcasts worth. So you don't want to hear that. But I and what I really think I feel the most strongly about is that I want to be able to write creative nonfiction that makes people want to um, make a change or that teaches people how they can help mm-hmm. make something better. So I call that solutions-based journalism. But that's what I'm interested in doing is is writing beautifully, but writing a, in ways that the, my readers can say, oh, I can use this. I, I can learn from this. I, I'm is, that a nice. is that a thing, solution-based journalism? It is, yeah. It's a, a solution-focused journalism. Is a, Do only you journalism can, people know this? Well, it's, it is probably a slightly more technical term in in the in the business basically you can write a a news story and you're just giving them the facts but you're not saying and here's what you can do differently and I've always tried to write here's the story but here's what you can do to change things or here's how you can exactly I try to do that in my columns Mm -hmm. just a just a little suggestion at the end Mm -hmm. of how you can work this in without being bossy (laughs) Mm -hmm. anyway so I'm hoping if I get in that starting this summer I'll be working on an MFA Fabulous. And, yeah. Not that I I'm need, coming out to need Colorado to visit. Yeah, I did not pick this program because of Colorado, but that did not hurt. <laughs> it did not hurt. Summer and didn't Colorado. knock it off the yes, list. Right. <laughs> yep. I've never been to Colorado, but mm. I'd like to. I have. I've been to Greeley, Colorado the first time I went, which smells like cows because it's a big stockyard or was back in the sixties. A friend of mine was gonna go to art school there and when she got there she figured she could not really uh, be an artist because of the, <laughs> the, the smell of the livestock. Oh, <laughs> one of my favorite smells. So she, so she, Depends on the livestock, she though, went I will somewhere say. Else, but now she's a pretty famous artist, so that worked out. Back to our book. So Gail picked out our chapter titles, and they're brilliant. So would you consider telling us what the chapter titles are, or at least to give us a sample of it? Yes. It is chronological. Right. Well, this is a memoir regardless of what has been said here today. (laughs) And so everyone's life goes through stages. And not all of the mystics, but a lot of us are in uh, approaching a dangerous stage in life. (laughs) And that's the last stage on our, which is chapter seven, and it's called Wearing Our Trousers Rolled. And I'm not going to explain that. (laughs) Y'all write it down and put it in the computer and you'll understand. (laughs) The first chapter is Tender Beginnings, and of course that's when we're all born or, or um, young children. My story there that I'm going to be reading today, I was six years old, and the second chapter is Teenage Mutants, and I certainly was one as a teenager, <laughs> and I didn't even tell the stories that um, because some of the people involved are still living, <laughs> and then uh, chapter three is Enlightenment and Erudition, which is our learning years and then chapter four a more or less i figured we would fill this up with stories because it's about our love life there are three whole stories in there (laughs) three mystics didn't even put one in there you should have put the one about joe in the underwear but that just happened this morning (laughs) but you could have you could still make it into a poem true (laughs) (laughs) and chapter five is the royal issue and other children and that's about our children And then chapter six, sadly, is about um, our middle age. It's called In Your Prime Numbers and Middle Age Crisis. And then chapter seven is Wearing Our Trousers Rolled. And that's the last chapter. 
there's some beautiful pictures that start each chapter of of I think that's me in each picture. I think it as is I too. Aged. Mm-hmm. I look so good in the end. I think the little redheaded girl is me. Oh. <laughs> Even though I don't have red hair anymore. <clears throat> My stories are what I call flash fiction. And I've been telling people that for years. And then yesterday I had sort of a come to Jesus moment about what I'd written in several ways when I was looking through the book to decide what to read. And I thought I've been telling people for years that I write flash fiction and I really don't quite know what it is. So I looked it up. (laughs) But I'm saved because it's 150 words or less. 150? No, 1,500 words or less. There we go. You're right. You're right. But there is one that's six words. Flash fiction, six words. That's Hemingway. It's Hemingway. And they have different um, lengths. There's a Twitter length. But... Mine probably stick to right under 1,500 words. And it's also called microfiction. But if it's memoir, you're going to have to change it to flash memoir? Yeah, because you are yeah, telling the true. truth. That's it's true. Not, you don't, some of this may flash be memoir. fiction, but, but I think know, most of this as memoir is true. All, isn't all it? my fiction is actually memoir almost, not the part about all my lovers. No, <laughs> but that was fiction. All my fiction is pretty much mm-hmm. memoir. But anyway, yes, I'll change it to micro-memoir. I like that, micro-memoir. Mm-hmm. It's got evocative prose in it, which I think I have. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so evocative that the readers can fill in the gaps that your words haven't. It's not new. Aesop's Fables is flash fiction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes, I now know what I've been doing for years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I firmly believe that Everybody has a story, and I, I think everybody ought to have an opportunity to at least share some of their story, but this has been such a wonderful chance for all six of us to be able to at least give a glimpse into what our lives have been like and, and what that experience has made us into, too. I'd like to say that this book wouldn't be possible without Katie, Mystic Katie. Yes, thank you, Katie. I don't know. We should bow at your feet. If I wasn't so old, I'd do it right now. (laughs) But y'all would have to get me up. (laughs) Pull you up by your roll trousers. It also wouldn't be possible without the help of our designers. Oh, Um, that's true. So Cheryl Grisham and Kate Grisham, her daughter, have been... Amazing. Amazing. They've been working with us and when we make changes and they've been patient with us and they have helped us make this book look beautiful um, as well as, yeah, be, be right. And it will be available on Amazon and... In the future. In, in the future. That's right. But also from us directly, so... Yeah, yeah. In and paperback and Kindle. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so cool. I'll edit that side. <laughs> no, I like that side. <laughs> well, let's read. Gail, if yours is from the first chapter, that would be a good starting point. Well, this story is when I was six years old. And I had just spent maybe six weeks in my first dance class. I didn't get much further than that. They probably called my mother and said I had no talent. It was next door to my dentist office. Uh, Well, it was in the same building with my dentist office, so there was a lot of tapping and drilling up there. This is uh, my experience from my six-year-old tapping. And it's called One Tap Over the Line. I once tap danced to Jesus Loves Me. I was six and in the first grade. I had a solid half a year of lessons under my belt and one recital that I personally thought went exceptionally well. Before curtains up, 
Mother had coached me into, into smiling while performing our class's one routine. I might have overcompensated a bit with the Phyllis Diller grin pasted to my face for the entirety of my excellent tapping gig. The audience seemed pleased. Not long after my debut, Aunt Kathleen, the acknowledged beauty of our family, was visiting. I so wanted to impress my beautiful relative. By the time Mother and Kathleen had settled on the veranda, sipping their minute iced tea, I was dressed and ready to perform in my dance attire, which was fashioned with layers of netting sewn to a beige bathing suit. My tap shoes were sprayed silver, and topping off the outfit was a hat styled with the same netting fanning across my young head. In retrospect, I think my multi-netted costume made me look like an extra chubby flamboyant bottle brush. <laughs> I was ready for my unsolicited performance. While my mother and aunt endeavored to enjoy their summer beverage and a long overdue visit, I danced my little heart out on the small concrete platform that was our 1950s patio. For added effect, I attempted to breathlessly sing along with the lyrics from the 78 record we'd practiced in dance class. I shuffled and hopped to the snappy tune, The Darktown Strutter's Ball. I'll be down to get you in a taxi, honey. Better be ready about half past eight. Now, baby, don't be late. I want to be there when the band starts playing. Remember when we get there, honey, I'm going to dance off both of my shoes when they play those jelly roll blues <laughs> tomorrow <laughs> night at the Darktown Strutter's Ball. At the last tap, as it trailed off, the ladies daintily clapped. The aunt was at least tolerant of my pursuit of her approval. Sadly, I had demonstrated my entire repertoire. Still encouraged by their endorsement, I decided to continue with a spur-of-the-moment <laughs> encore. Other than the Darktown Strutter's Ball, I knew very few songs. Jesus Loves Me immediately sprang to my young mind. Looking back, it was not one of my better ideas, and I'm not proud of it, but after all, I was six and desperate for the approval of the lovely Kathleen. I will add here that my beginner class was not far beyond a routine consisting of shuffle, ball, change, repeat, repeat, step, hill, step, hill, repeat, repeat. With this elementary skill set, I began to sing Jesus Loves Me while monotonously dancing the few steps I knew. Desperately short of breath, I took my bow. My audience of two appeared unhappy. Mother was flustered, and Aunt Kathleen must have found her tea to be bitter. <laughs> I'm amused at this memory of this childish miscalculation production, miscalculated production. Even with Mother's scolding and my aunt's disapproval, I insisted I'd learn the choreography to Jesus Loves Me in my ecumenical tap dance. In high sight, I know that. Although Jesus loves me, perhaps Aunt Kathleen does not. <laughs> that is so great. It is great. And she'll be performing that at, at the opening. So yeah, I've still got the outfit. We're going to sing Jesus loves me and Gail is going to do her thing. <laughs> you know, I think all the mothers made these costumes. They still do. Oh, do they? No, they? They don't make them. They just have to alter them. Oh. <laughs> or, or buy them. They buy but, them and well, alter them. Ours all started with a bathing suit and whatever they could add <laughs> to so it. They just... to it. <laughs> but that's pretty brilliant when you think about it. <laughs> a bottle brush. Yeah. So could you get the um, 
accoutrements off the bathing suit and reuse it for a bathing suit afterwards or do you know <laughs> no okay I kept that forever I don't know where it is now no. because let's see how many years ago was that oh yes well uh, maybe 70 it's maybe in a museum somewhere <laughs> that's sure. what I need, think needs to be for sure yes so I just want to say one of the things I love about listening to y'all read is that you really get the the inflection and the heart of it so it's fun to listen to I love reading but I also love listening to people read their own oh, work especially you. yes yes thank you thank you all right Mary what have you got I've got cool kid rising mm. from the ashes um this is from I guess teenage mutants it's about something that happened in my teenagehood when I became very cool my stepmother Janie drove a cream colored firebird complete with a giant phoenix on the hood I had been raised to call that tacky, and my reaction to that spread-eagle bird with a sideways head is still in me. Tacky. Janie's from a good Tennessee family. Her dad was a doctor. I still can't believe she had a phoenix on the hood. Wait, maybe she didn't have a phoenix on the hood, and I'm just inventing it to make my story cooler. Come to think of it, I really don't know, but she definitely had a cream-colored firebird. I could feel the engine in that car. It felt different than the engines of the Volkswagens and Fords I'd been toted around in. She let me drive it all the time, that is, with her beside me. I only had a learner's permit. Tacky or not, I have to admit, I did feel a little bit cool driving that car. Now let's establish one thing. I was not a cool kid. I wanted to be a cool kid. I hung out with a number of cool kids. The coolest kids of all were the boys who got together downtown on Sundays and played jazz. I didn't even like the music, but I'd go to their jam sessions with my girlfriends and Fain, clove-scented interest. My girlfriends were prettier and skinnier than I was, and I'll be honest, cooler. They got much more attention from the cool boys who plucked their instruments and tapped their toes, cigarettes dangling from their mouths, sipping bourbon on ice between riffs and solos. Occasionally, I got a smile. If I was really mooning, I got a wink. One weekend, my dad and Janie went out of town. Robert and I were 17 and 15, old enough to stay home alone. I'm sure Janie and my dad had given up so completely on Robert that the worst-case scenario that he'd end up in jail didn't sound so bad. And they didn't have to worry about me because I was good. I was so good, but I wanted to be cool, and here was my chance. What if I just drove myself downtown to the jam session in the Firebird? My heart pitter-pattered at the thought, and I quickly made up my mind. The keys to the Firebird hung by the door as innocent as an ice cream cone. No clue that they were about to be snatched up and used in an illegal act. Now my heart pounded and my knees went weak, but I did it. I grabbed those keys, took the porch steps two at a time, and flung myself into that car like it was my own. I lit a cigarette, Marlboro Light. I'd long graduated from Virginia Slim Menthol Lights. Not to calm my nerves, but to enhance my image. If I got caught doing this, I'd be in so much trouble. I could be arrested, right? My stepmother could probably get in jail, too, for leaving the keys, those loaded weapons around so casually. I, I drove around like a grandma, eyes glued to the road, hands gripping the wheel at 10 and 2, completely forgetting about the way the cool kids drive with their wrists draped over the wheel. With tremendous relief, I pulled into the parking lot downtown without incident. I was shaking like a leaf. I calmed myself enough to go into the building where the guys were jamming and smoking and drinking and thinking about two million and one things which did not include me or how I got downtown or whether or not I was old enough to drive. And where were my girlfriends? They were nowhere to be seen. 
Being here without them was awkward and stiff and made me feel stupid. What was I doing here? I'm going to skip ahead a little bit and get myself home. The next evening around dinner time, Janie got a call from a friend. Robert, get in here, Janie yelled when she got off the phone, slamming it into its receiver. She immediately began berating Robert for driving her car downtown. Why would I take your car? I have my own car, Robert yelled back. Those two could really go at it. It was true, he did have his own car. Granted, Robert's car didn't have a fenders or a windshield, and the hood was held down with a bungee cord, and he used a fingernail file for a key. But he didn't need the firebird to be cool. He was just cool. Suddenly, the room was silent. I wondered just how red my face grew. Robert took one look at me and burst into the most genuine peal of laughter. He threw his head back and roared, I didn't take the car, he gasped between guffaws. She did. He pointed at me, and I thought he was going to wet his pants. I thought I was going to wet my pants, too, but for different reasons. I cried and I ran from the room. I holed up again in my bedroom with a pen and a notebook and wrote and wrote about what I had done. I wrote and I cried and I didn't feel one drop of remorse. Instead, I was mad. Mad I had done something so stupid to get the attention of a bunch of dudes who didn't give one, ooh, here comes a bad word, one flying fuck about me. Mad that it was so astonishing that I, a goody-goody two-shoes, was capable of being bad. Mad that I wasn't cool mad that I wanted to be cool and that nobody understood me, nor would they ever, ever, ever understand me. And I was destined to live in my isolated, uncool, misunderstood brain forever. One week later, I walked into the kitchen where my dad, stepmother, and brother were having coffee, Folgers Crystals. They were all going about their morning over pancakes and the Sunday funnies, making plans, which did not include me because I was grounded. I cleared my throat. I have something to say, I said. I have been good all my life, and he has been bad all his life. I pointed at Robert, who finally looked up at me. And it hasn't done me any good. I have the same rules as he does. I have the same curfew as he does. I don't have one single privilege he doesn't have. I paused. Both my dad and Janie were listening. Robert had turned back to the Sunday funnies. I just want to let you know that I'm not going to be good anymore. There was no response. I made my own cup of instant coffee and calmly went back to my room to write more bad poetry about the moon, unicorns, fairies, gnomes, and the tragic failures of all mankind. Boy, I can feel every bit of that. <laughs> yeah, even these, all these years later. Every bit of that is true. Yeah. I'm even a, the Folgers crystals. I'm, I never got caught. Well, Janie must have had a narc about town that called and... The, the car Said, was a little it, obvious, too, exactly. wasn't it? Yes. Somebody saw that car downtown. My my mother got on the bus with a football team to go out of town. I guess that was a thing. Parents could go. And left her car at the school, which was only a block from my house. And the key, keys were probably somewhere I could get to them. And I walked to the school and went and picked up all my girlfriends and went to the Bonanza Burger. Mm. And we drove round and round and round and round the Bonanza Burger. Bonanza And when I backed up, I hit a pole and the light in the back of the car just uh, went crash. So I got out and picked up every single piece of that glass and drove the car, dropped my girlfriends off, drove the car back to the school, dropped the glass on the ground under the, under the light, what was the light, and walked home. And the next day, my brother ratted on me because all the girls were talking about it. 
And mother looked at him and said, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. The glass was all over the parking lot. I know you're mean to your sister, but there's no use in doing this. Uh, It was just a fly ball from the neighborhood. (laughs) Did you ever? Oh, heck no. No. No confessions. No confessions. No confessions. Yeah. (laughs) Well, according to Janie, I really did stop being good after that. Mm. Really? It was the turning point. I was done. Mm. Done with all those rules. Mm. Mm. That I followed that Robert didn't. Yeah. I mean, where did it get you, right? Yeah. I'd never, yeah. never started off being good. <laughs> <laughs> I was always good. But that's because. You still are, Katie. It was sometimes. Most the good, of the time. That's what we ought to call time. you, the good, the good mystic. mystic. Like the good, <laughs> the good witch in the back. Do you, are you saying there's only hey, one good mystic? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much, yes. Oh. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm curious. Where were they playing pool and playing jazz in downtown Auburn? Was it the pool hall? It was, there was some, no, it wasn't the pool hall. There was, I think we used a reception area of like the Tiger Theater was one place. Because some of our friends worked there and we used to sneak in there and just use it all the time. But there was also, they were not playing for an audience. They were just practicing. Practicing. Um, They ran a little teenage disco called MacArthur Park for a while uh-huh. that they played there practiced there and Jimmy I'm, Webb it's my MacArthur Park song so oh, yeah go ahead yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's, let's sing it um but yeah but my memory of that particular incident is they're playing somewhere in some building on North College okay. in downtown yeah you know and I just wanted to be cool so bad yeah and it does kind of make me mad when I think back on it, how much time I wasted trying to impress people. And I wasn't, truly wasn't interested in any of it. I was just trying, literally, to be cool. I so. just was born cool. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, Katie, what I'm do you still, got I'm to read I'm still waiting on cool. So mine is uh, one of the three in a more or less, the love stories. Um, it's mm. Brace yourselves, it's very racy, not. Um <laughs> Okay, so several years ago, like more than 20 years ago when I was unmarried, I had been dating this fella for a lo- good long time, and I kind of saw the handwriting on the wall, and I knew it was about to get dumped. And duh, duh, duh. So I actually had to go to Louisiana for a meeting, and then I took some extra time to go see the Evangeline Oak in, in the Lafayette area of um, Louisiana. And so this story sprang from that, and this is all this is all true. It is not fiction. So it's called Ted Nixon, Where Are You? Ted Nixon, where are you? At the KOA campground on Apollo Road, at some Lafayette club gliding around the dance floor to the music of the branch playboys, back in Michigan selling used cars in heaven with grace? I wish I knew, because just now I'd sure like to dance with you. You may not remember me, but one night many years ago, you asked me for a dance in Brobridge, Louisiana. I was there to see the Evangeline Oak and to prepare myself for what I knew was the impending end of a long-term romance. I was feeling blue and didn't want to spend the evening holed up in my ho- in my room in, at a no-name motel in St. Martinsville. So I took myself out to dinner at the nearby and world-famous Mulot's Cajun Restaurant. As I sat there all alone, eating gumbo, drinking black and voodoo beer, and listening to the house band, the numbing sorrow I'd been feeling about my romantic situation began to ease. When a large group of hefty Germans, all draped in Mardi Gras beads despite the fact that Fat Tuesday had come and gone months before, began to polka around Mulot's wooden dance floor to the band's Zydeco tunes, I found myself smiling. And when the Germans asked the waitress to 
talk Cajun to them. And she kept saying, I ain't a Cajun. I laughed out loud. My toe also started tapping to the music, but being without a partner or much natural grace, I stayed rooted to my chair. That is, until you approached and asked me to dance. I don't know how, I said. I'll teach you, you replied, and before I could protest, you led me to the back corner of the restaurant and instructed me on a basic waltz and a little two-step before leading me onto the dance floor to try out my newfound moves. You kept telling me to relax, to let go and just follow you. And soon we were skimming across the boards, weaving our way through the stomping Germans. You made it easy, and you were right. Once I followed your lead, I could also follow my instincts. Between sets, we sat at a small table, and you told me that you and Grace, your wife of many years, had begun attending Cajun dances in Detroit, which struck me as an odd place to find Louisiana music, but who was out of question it? I learned that your love of dancing had led you to vacation in and around Lafayette, parking your motorhome at the KOA campground, and going out nightly to hit the big to hit the many dance clubs in the parish. I learned that the two of you had big plans to spend winters at that campground once you retired. Then I learned that just as you were retiring, Grace got sick. She was gone in a matter of months. I decided to come to Lafayette anyway, you said. That's when you told me about a Catholic priest who had lived on Cape Breton in Canada's Acadian region. Unlike his predecessor, who had frowned on frivolity and discouraged fun, this priest encouraged his parishioners to enjoy life and especially to play music and move their feet. When you dance, you trample the troubles of the world, the priest had reportedly said. I'm taking his advice, you said. I'm here to dance and trample my troubles. After that story, I was totally smitten by you. So when you asked if I wanted to follow you around on a Zydeco dance bar crawl, I didn't hesitate to say yes. I trailed behind the taillights of your red convertible, which sported a vanity tag reading, Yahoo, (laughs) to every music joint we could find in Lafayette Parish. We danced around and across their dance floors until almost dawn before saying goodbye in a gravel parking lot where we exchanged only a hug. No phone numbers, no addresses, before going our separate ways. Not long after I returned home, the romance ended. And despite being prepared for that inevitability, it still hurt. But it hurt less because of you, Ted. And today, more than three decades later, our single evening together continues to help me waltz through life. I wish I could tell you that now, but I don't know where to find you, so this will have to suffice. Thank you, Ted Nixon, wherever you are, and yahoo. That is so great. Hey, Ted Nixon, where are you? find him. Have you looked him up? Well, I did try to look him up, um, and he was about 20 years my senior, so if he's still out there, I don't know. But I haven't been able to find him. He's probably not poking around on Facebook. That is such a sweet story. And I love that dancing teaches you to trample your troubles. I think you were very brave to do that by yourself. It's probably stupid. but um, You took your own car. I took my own car. And, and, you know, they're just... Hopefully, you you trust your instincts that this is not somebody that I should have been afraid of. Yeah, the of. words Ted Bundy said to yeah, all well, trust Ted. your <laughs> But he would have yeah. made him get in his car. Yeah. Yeah. I'm afraid I would have because he was cute. Mm. <laughs> that is a very sweet story. I hope Ted Nixon's kids at least yeah. hear this story. Well, you know, it's one of those times <laughs> when you wish you'd at least found out enough to track somebody down later or yeah. you know but it was just it what yeah, it meant to be so anyway it was if, good. if you are in a nursing home um please call katie <laughs> <laughs> yes ted if you are out there just accept your gracious to this. yes <laughs> well we've sweet. made it to the mystic moment have we not we have although i do have one more 
question for oh, the two sure, of you Oh, sure, 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 sure. And I, I realize this is a surprise request, but because both of you have poems in this book, I wondered if y'all would pick one of those. Or You have one at least, right, Mary? I think I have one. Okay. I think you know, it'd be nice I'm to hear a little just poetry. just totally prepared for this. Okay, good. I've turned right to it. Good. <laughs> I don't know why it has this marker in oh, here. Oh, well, I... I swear we did not coordinate this. This just bubbled up in my brain. Yes, it's the mystic Mm -hmm. moment. Mm -hmm. No, the mystic brain. Uh, You know, this is in the last chapter when our trousers are rolled, and I realize that um, I am sticking to this old age theme, and I um, wonder if at some point I'm going to start weeping while I write these, but this is just about preparing to migrate. And that's the name of the poem. The miniature birds surround the sweet water feeder, landing and fleeting, soaring and circling, like an ever-changing Calder mobile. Just a momentary piece of beauty, and I, in my 75th year, will be the keeper of this memory. Soon the hummers will leave, following an ancestor's path, coursing to a finer winter place. And I... And not too distant a September, I too will migrate. <laughs> wow. I have gotten teary over something else. Mm-hmm. I know it. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I just realized my poem is a testament to me deciding not to be good anymore. Mm-hmm. The poem is oh, in this, this is section perfect. called The Royal Issue and Other Children, and it's called Fortress. I built my house with wildflowers and wine with tumbling critters and scoundrels and tramps and extra dogs and movie nights. So when they came for me with Sunday school pitchforks and PTA bombs and endless pleas for brownies, more brownies, I gathered my husband and daughters together in jangled, tangled arms and replied, but we don't have an oven (laughs) <laughs> I love that. And it's true, we didn't have an oven for 10 years, the first 10 years of our life in Auburn. That's a great poem, but I don't feel sorry for you on the brownie deal, because I know your trick. Well, I didn't learn that trick. I didn't, you know, I, not having an oven was great. And then when I finally got an oven and realized maybe I should cook, I just <laughs> started buying those two-bite brownies and sprinkling sugar on the top to make and it look, look like And they look so real. <laughs> You can learn about that secret in the ploy of cooking. (laughs) Have we got time for that, or should we go on to the mystic moment? Let's go to the mystic moment, because I think our listeners should get the book and read it. That's right. There you go. Mm -hmm. Right. The book is available at our opening, which is February the 15th at the beautiful Art House in Opelika, Alabama. We'll be there from 5 to 7, and so will some very interesting white and red wines. Mm -hmm. Mm. And if you can't make that one, keep an eye out on... Yeah, our, we'll, there'll uh, be schedule some more. for the future because we'll have more readings as well. And I'll be late, but don't worry, I'll be there. Yes. <laughs> well, so we're to Mystic Moments. We are. Well, I have two. One is next Thursday, I'm going to uh, Nice, France by myself to meet a friend there. And I have to go through Charles de Gaulle. And it did make me nervous because going through Charles de Gaulle airport's like dying and going to hell. Did <laughs> you wake up in heaven? My dear friend Hans Paul sent me a map with little footprints where to go when I get off one plane onto the hopper to Nice. So that was very mystic and sweet. Thank you, Hans. I know. And then my next little mystic moment I had too was yesterday. Our book is finished, and I have a copy that says, 
not for resale that I've been through a million times, but before I read today, I was looking at my story and the Camp Town Strutter's Ball, and I thought, how did I get the name of that person that I attributed it to? And I looked it up, and Louis Prima. Louis Prima. Louis Prima did not write this song, and there it is in bold print, and I was ashamed to ask Katie to change anything else, but I did. The real person to write it was Shelton Brooks, and how I made that mistake, I don't know. He probably sings it a hundred times. Yeah, it is one of his band's songs, but Shelton Brooks is a pretty cool songwriter, Mm -hmm. but I was actually in a panic when I called Katie, (laughs) and I said, you know, this might be a pretty bad (laughs) mistake. (laughs) <laughs> well, we caught it in time, and, and Cheryl Grisham came to our rescue and made the change. Yeah, so I don't know how she put a, up with us those these I'm, last months. I, I'm not sure either. That's but our book designer, yeah, I our think, wonderful I think book she's, designer. Um, I think she qualifies for sainthood. literary sainthood. <laughs> literary sainthood, yes. Literary yeah. sainthood. So, Mary, have you had a... I, I made a mystic moment that I'll share. A few weeks ago, I went to a fabulous event at Orr Farm Rescue and Sanctuary, which I wrote a column about. Y'all can dig it up and read I did, it. I do remember it. It was really, really fun. I wanted to see those guys. A, oh, my gosh. Included a trail ride with 27 other people, half of whom were Mexican cowboys. It was fabulous. So I brought the director of Orr Farms, Shanoa, my antique sleigh bells to use during the event. I've been carrying these antique sleigh bells around with me my whole since I was about nine years old when I saw them in an antique store and asked Santa for them and got them. I'd never had anything to do with them. I just care. I mean, I took them with me when I moved to Boston. I brought them back. They've gone everywhere with me and they just hang in my house. And so they got to go out and be a part of an event. And she returned them to me. She works at the farm where I now work. So here's my mystic moment. She hands me the sleigh bells and I was like, thanks. And I'm thinking I could just take these home and hang them back up in my little study, but instead I hung them in the barn. And I felt like my sleigh bells are hanging in this barn. And it was a really solid kind of mystic sense of, yeah, this is my new life. My sleigh bells are hanging in the barn. Were you letting them go forever? Are you going to take them back sometime? Yes, but our agreement is to keep this this contract going until death or fun ends. So oh. I plan those those sleigh but bells when will you be leave, there for a you'll long take the sleigh time. Bells. I'll take the sleigh bells when I leave or leave them there if my you know, we'll see. <laughs> but you know, just hanging the bells. It was like, yep. They finally <laughs> found their home. Yes. And you're establishing your own place there too. Yeah. 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 Your presence there. So I, I have not come up with any great mystic moments. It's been sort of mystic not just mystic chaos. It's been chaos through the holidays and various things. So, How uh, many grandchildren do you have again? We have nine grandchildren, and they are ranging age from 12 going on 25. I mean, the 12-year-old thing is getting to that age. Where, yeah. And then um, uh, five months old. Jeez, so we had so a, a little bit of a very fun but kind of crazy holiday. And That's why when and, I call you, Katie, I go, is this a good yeah. time? <laughs> is this a good time, Katie? <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, so I don't have any truly mystic moment, except that I do get every day in my emails, I get this word of a day. I got one the other day called, and do y'all know about this word, an egg corn? Mm-mm. Do you know what an egg corn is? Egg corn. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. Like, Tell us. 
So it is a word or phrase that results from a mishearing or misinterpretation oh, yeah. of another. Oh, so acorn. Yeah, yes, <laughs> exactly. That. So th- that's, that's exactly, acorn was how that came about. I think that somebody misheard what squirrels eat or something like that. So I've, that word has just stuck with me. It's just, and I love things like that. I love malaprops and acorns and anything where language gets thrown out of... Skewed. Yes, yeah, skewed, and then it has a whole new meaning, which is yeah. even more fun. So I was at the gym this morning, and the guy that, at the gym who helps me was asking me about what we were going to do this spring, and I said that at some point I'm going to Ohio to go, and I don't exactly know how I said this, but I said on a birding trip of some sort, and but you know, birding something, and he looked at me and he said, they do Burning Man in Ohio? <laughs> <laughs> And I said, no, but that's a great idea. Well, give me this guy's name. I need to exercise. I have this this theory that until you, when you start a personal connection with something like, you know, someone who's pregnant, then you see pregnant women everywhere. Right. We had a three-legged dog. And after we got this three-legged dog, I saw three-legged dogs everywhere. So... Now that I've got egg corn in my mind, yeah. egg corns are going like to be everywhere. Yeah. image. That's right. I call those the Velcro mittens. Mm, Once yes, you hear these yeah. new things. You know, I get that same thing. And when you said egg corn, I almost said, yes, I know what it is. And I did read that, but I just now am remembering it, which yeah. is obvious. At my age, I'm lucky I'm sitting here much less remembering things. But I get word for the day and I can hardly remember them. Yeah. Well, the other thing that happened along these lines is that it turns out that our horoscopes may be way off. Do y'all know this story that because in the 2000 years since they were established, yeah, they've shifted, they've shifted. <laughs> so, um, so I may not so, be a cancer. No. Well, I'm a Gemini or a cancer. So I've been a cancer all my life, but now I might be a Gemini. So all these every morning I get up and read my horoscope, even though I don't remember it, you know, or use it. And now I have two to read, and it's so confusing because they so don't confusing. necessarily go together. I don't jab. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't read them either. Yeah. I can watch the evening news in five minutes because we tape it, zap. Mm. And I can read the OA news in five minutes. And so I've cut out things like the horoscope, the comics, whatever. Yeah. Well, so I guess that's probably enough for today. We'll have, I'm sure, get to other opportunities to talk about the book and writing and looking forward to our next podcast in this coming season. I think we did pretty good doing only half of the mystics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Hey, happy new year, y'all. Yeah. Happy Happy new New year Year to you too. And all those listeners out there, hope y'all are keeping your resolutions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I didn't make one this year. I have a word. It's flourish. That was yours last year. Nourish. Oh. And I nourished last year, <laughs> yeah, and, and it worked so well. Yeah. Look where it got me. So now I'm here. I'm going to flourish. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll have to think about my word. Mine might be egg, egg corn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, my, that's my word. Last year, Katie had a whole manifesto. Did you do a manifesto this year? Um, I haven't gotten around to that yet. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, it's still early. Right? Yeah, no, so I, I get it done in January, I like I'll the be lucky. mystic idea of doing a resolution after the new year because you're kind of getting over all the presents mm-hmm. and in yeah, okay. and so forth. So. so in February would be a good time to get our resolutions mm-hmm. down. Yeah. Right. I'll I think we should have away. February 1st resolutions. I think that's a great yeah. idea. Yeah. Okay. I like having a deadline too that I can probably miss, but at least I've got one. So. All, right. all right. Well, this has been fun, girls. And we missed our sisters, but mm-hmm. I think they missed us. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. remember, be the flame. Not, Not the, the moth. moth.